0: when winter finally ends and spring arrives, people start thinking organically. They buy flowers, they plant gardens. The growing season has begun. Now that when it comes to spiritual growth, the Bible uses a lot of organic imagery. And so this series is entitled The Organic Believer. And it's based on John chapter 15. And this message is entitled Finding Yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you have given us everything we need to find fulfillment in life and to be the people that you created us to be. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we keep coming, because we learn more and more about that each Sunday. And uh, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today and to look at your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A young pastor is shocked when his wife announces she's not happy. So she's leaving him. Not because she found somebody else. It's because she has to find herself. True story. An Olympic hero who became a reality TV star makes a decisive choice To transition and become a female because he needs to find himself. Finding yourself. I hear a lot of that. Have you found yourself? This is a widespread phenomenon, bigger than Pokemon Go. If only there was an app to help us. We've become a generation of lost people trying to find ourselves, and there's no GPS to help us. And this journey has been partly inspired by our most renowned pop psychologists. For example, Oprah insists that each of us has the potential to become anything we want to be, because everything we need is already inside of us. Really? In the Bible, Paul came to a very different conclusion. When he realized the condition his condition was in, in Romans 7, 18, he says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me? Paul realized that this cancer of sin was, had spread throughout his entire being. When Isaiah discovered who he really was, he cried out in despair, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Finding yourself can be very traumatic. You may not like what you find. The Bible actually shows us a better way. In Matthew 16, beginning beginning at verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Instead of finding ourselves, we need to concentrate on denying ourselves and be willing to lose our lives because in the Bible, it's not finders keepers. It's actually losers keepers. And now, although this quest to find ourselves is certainly contaminated by a lot of sinful and selfish motives, in its purest form, it is a desire to answer life's most important questions. Why are we here? What is our purpose? Why did God create us? Well, in John chapter 15, Jesus was addressing those very questions. In verse 5, he says, "'I am the vine, you are the branches.'" If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. The best way to understand our purpose in life is to think organically. You see, when God created the heavens and the earth, He didn't place Adam and Eve into a boardroom or an arena or a shopping mall, He placed the first ones into a garden. Teeming with blossoms and filled with fruit and all of it was an illustration of the spiritual life And it was so obvious until Satan encouraged Eve to find herself and We all know how that turned out But even after that even after paradise lost spiritual truth was still revealed organically in nature When Jesus came, he illustrated the most profound spiritual lessons through the simplest living organisms. Mustard seeds, weeds, thistles, a grain of wheat, the lilies of the field. And on his final night before his crucifixion, Jesus spelled it out so clearly in his masterpiece about the vineyard. In verse 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You see, sin has so corrupted our minds that we cannot independently discover why we were created. But that's not our only opportunity. We get another chance because the answer is also revealed by the one who chose us. If we can't understand why we were created, we can nevertheless understand why we were chosen. It's for the same reason, the same purpose. It's to bear fruit. And in this verse, Jesus said, we didn't choose him. And if we didn't choose him, that meant we would not have chosen his purpose. We would have had other priorities. We wanted to make money. We wanted to pursue pleasure. We wanted to be successful. We wanted to impress people. We wanted to be famous. We wanted to be the best. We wanted to be significant. But then we were chosen, and all of that changed. The purpose of our life is not about those things anymore. It's about bearing fruit that will last. That's why we were created That's why we were chosen. So this series is going to be different. Instead of moving forward to a conclusion, we're going to move backwards. We're going to start with the conclusion and then try to find out how we got there. It's a five-part process which we will deal with in three messages. So this is really the season finale. The purpose of our life is to bear fruit. That's why we were created That's why we were chosen. And when we bear fruit, we will find fulfillment. It's like the man we referred to earlier. Paul was shocked when he found out what was in his heart. But that led him to a discovery of what Jesus Christ had to offer. And that put him on the right track, and so he invested his life so wisely that in the end, Paul was able to say, the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is now in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who, who have longed for his appearing. Obviously, Paul had discovered the meaning of life. He had found his purpose. He had found himself in the best sense. There were no regrets. That's what a fulfilled life looks like. And that's the kind of fulfillment we will experience when we spend our lives bearing fruit. But what are we talking about? What is this? the Bible refers to fruit in a number of ways, but I think probably the best answer is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, there was this massive explosion of spiritual power and gifts and signs and wonders. But the best manifestation of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis is here in this passage. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. It's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness and self-control. See, when the gardener walks through a vineyard, he's not concerned about the size of the plant or the abundance of leaves. He's only looking for one thing. He didn't plant that vine for decoration or for landscaping or ground cover. This is a working vineyard, so he's looking for fruit. In fact, he's more pleased with a scrawny, gnarled vine that produces a single cluster of grapes than with a towering canopy of lush leaves where there is no fruit. The gardener is looking for fruit, for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, etc., Notice that in this list, there is no mention of miracles or signs and wonders or manifestations of power or splendid statistics. Over the years, many people have tried to impress me with their spiritual gifts. But my take on that is your spiritual gifts don't interest me until I see spiritual fruit. I've had a lot of people come at me with their spiritual gifts, and there's a lot of pride, and there's a lot of self in that. That doesn't impress me unless I see the spiritual fruit. Then I will accept your spiritual gift. Matthew 7:20, Jesus said, "By their fruit you will recognize them, not by their gifts, but by their fruit. Now, when you look at this fruit, this is not very impressive. You couldn't put any of this on your resume. And yet, this is the essence of a fulfilled life. This is exactly what the gardener is looking for. God is more pleased with an orderly who conducts his duties with patience than with a chief surgeon who storms through the units, leaving havoc in his wake. You know, when you go to a Christian conference, they always introduce their speaker by listing all the accomplishments. He's currently the president of a seminary. He has two doctorates. He's a chairman of three boards. He's written four bestsellers, and he's got five Nobel Prizes. Wow. This is going to be good. Well, I'm sorry, but that information doesn't tell me anything. What I would like to know is how does he deal with suffering? How does he treat people he doesn't like? What does he do when God disappoints him? What do his kids think of him? You see, God is more impressed with a clerk who treats his colleagues with kindness with a CEO who earns $3 million a day yet neglects his family for the sake of his profits. God may not be that concerned about your career, but he is very concerned about your character. It's not your accomplishments, it's your attitude. What God is looking for is fruit, like love. Now, this has to be defined because love is everywhere. What kind of love are we talking about? This is not the feeling, necessarily. And this is not really what you do for your family and friends. Matthew 5:46 says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Even the tax collectors are doing that. That's easy. Anybody can do that. What God is especially pleased with is when we commit acts of love for those who don't deserve it. The people you don't like. The people you don't know. That's where love really begins to count. Have you done something loving for the person you normally ignore when you come to church? Have you produced any fruit today? In 1 John chapter 4, 20 to 21, it says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Rosalind Rinkler, Rinker puts it this way, This means we love God as much as the person we dislike the most. Ouch! That's a three de- third degree burn. Wow! God is looking for love. Not the easy kind, but the hard kind. That's the kind of fruit that pleases Him. God is looking for undeserving love and, and joy, unquenchable joy. Now I know that a lot of things have gone wrong in your lifetime, that you have faced many disappointments. In fact, life is, is unfair, and you can prove it. And often you feel like nobody cares. But the amazing thing is that that has not quenched your faith. In defiance of your circumstances, you have chosen to rejoice in the Lord always until that joy of the Lord has become your strength. That's what God is looking for. So even decades after your conversion, that inner spring has not gone dry. You still experience the refreshing joy of your salvation, and you do not take his blessings for granted. So you're not just enduring the Christian life, you're enjoying it. Good for you. That's exactly what God is looking for. He's looking for undeserving joy, un- our undeserving love, unquenchable joy, and incomprehensible peace. The kind that Paul talks about in Philippians 4-7 when he says the peace that passes all understanding. This peace cannot be explained in any psychological terms. Believers in Jesus, those who follow him, have a peace that does not come from anywhere else in the world. We are not like the wicked, Their heart is like a restless sea, churning up mud and debris. We're not like well-intentioned Martha, worried and upset about many things. We're more like Mary, peacefully listening to her Lord. We live in a world where it's very difficult to experience peace. And Jesus explained this in Matthew 16, 33. He says, I've told you these things that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's how we receive this peace that passes all understanding. In this world we face many trials and tribulations, but spoiler alert, we know the final score. Jesus has overcome. Jesus has overcome the world, and that's what gives us peace. The gardener is looking for fruit, for love, joy, peace, and enduring patience. You see, Christian virtues don't come out of a vending machine, they grow organically, and that takes time. Most people don't have the patience to, to plant a garden. You know, you put a seed in the soil, and an hour later, there's nothing there. How long is this going to take? A day later, there's nothing there. A week later, that's not how our life is. We want instant results. Tending a garden or an orchard or a vineyard requires lots of patience. Now, how much patience are we talking about? How long is this going to take? Well, I can answer that. It's going to take until the harvest. That's how long it's going to take. Patience is only valid when you go the distance. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, the writer says, Consider it pure joy, my friend, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It's an incomprehensible thing to say. I don't feel joy. Why would we feel why should we feel joy? Well, then he explains it because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Do you know of any other way to get perseverance than through facing trials? I guess not. That's the only way it comes. And then he says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The only thing about perseverance that you need to know is that perseverance must finish its work. For example, if it takes 20 years to finish its work and you give up after 18 years, it's all been wasted because perseverance must finish its work. That's the only way it becomes valid. That's the only way you mature. If you give up a year before the harvest, it's all been wasted. God is looking for fruit that will last And while you're waiting, you got to find something to do, right? Well, here's what you do every day you have opportunities to practice kindness. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I once saw a poster that said, Be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. That's true. The alternative rock group R.E.M. pointed out in one of their hits, Everybody Hurts. Very likely true. So there's not a single person here who doesn't need kindness. We may not need more calories, but we can always use more kindness. And everybody you see this week needs some of your kindness, whether they deserve it or not. And then there's goodness. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 to 25 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now this brings us to the salad bar section of the Bible. Vegetarians, this is the passage for you. There is just fresh lettuce everywhere. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, how do you do that? How do you motivate someone to good deeds? There's only one way, by being good to them. Matthew chapter 12, verse 35 says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. Well, that almost sounds like Oprah, except that this goodness is not indigenous it has to be imported and transplanted into our lives this comes from the holy spirit this comes from the fact that we have surrendered and invited jesus into our lives and as he comes in the holy spirit is able to fill us and produce his fruit and so because You have internalized salvation. You've taken Jesus into your life. You now have an inexhaustible supply of goodness. And so day after day, you can deliver the goods. In fact, did you know goodness is probably your greatest superpower? Because according to Romans 12, you can overcome evil with good. What is stronger than evil? Only one thing, good, goodness. You have a superpower. By the way, what are three good things that you could do this week? That's what God is looking for. And faithfulness, which means consistency. This is not sporadic kindness, intermittent goodness. This is fruit that shall last It's different in the world. A man at a bar was bragging that he was faithful to his wife an average of five days a week. Well, true faithfulness cannot be interrupted or temporarily suspended. Faithfulness does not have a short attention span. Faithfulness refuses to stop. It continues in season and out of season. And you're the kind of person who would be faithful even in a world where the love of most grow cold. You're the kind of person who would be faithful even when many are led astray. And you're the kind of person who will not be ashamed of Jesus Christ because you are faithful. And then there's gentleness. Wow. When the prison guard spoke to him harshly, Paul retaliated with gentleness, an average of seven days a week. And that was so powerful, it eventually undermined their military training, their basic instincts of brutality, and even their loyalty to Caesar, and they became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was because Paul spoke to them with gentleness. You can read about it in Philippians chapter 4. Some people are so abrasive that their words leave their families emotionally bruised and internally bleeding. But your words bring healing, and healing is always dispensed through gentleness. That's what God is looking for. And let's not forget self-control. Obviously, God does not want us to be manipulated by the remote control signals of temptation and addiction or anger and fear. Because these are the things that destroy our identity. They make us forget who we are. That's why in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And the word filled there means to be controlled. When we're filled with alcohol, drunkenness controls us but when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, God controls us. And then we can live a life that produces fruit. Now, a person who displays this kind of character would be a tremendous blessing in any family, in any marriage. They'd be an asset in any career to any company or any church. A person like this is more important and more impressive than Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg or LeBron James or Tom Brady or David Suzuki or Oprah or Beyonce or anyone else you can name, because these virtues make you more like Jesus. And when we become like Jesus, that's when we really find ourselves. That's when we discover why we were created and why we were chosen. So fruitfulness is the secret of fulfillment. If you want to live a fulfilled life, it's all about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may wonder how this is possible, and I'm glad you asked because... I could either tell you right now, if you have the time, or I'll tell you next week. What do you think? Josh has a motion to adjourn the meeting. Is there a second? (laughs) All opposed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that the Christian life is not that complicated. It's just something that we already understand when we... uh, Get our hoses out and water the lawn or dig the weeds out of the garden when we prune our bushes and our trees. We already know how, how things grow, what hinders them, and what makes it happen. And it's just so much the same in our spiritual lives. So, Lord, the, the ultimate goal is to bear fruit much fruit, fruit that shall last. And now, Lord, we need to find out how that happens. So we look forward to continuing in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as the praise team comes.